Let's get the junk science out of sleep. What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pestuch, and I'm your host. Today, I am joined by Dr. Kirk Parsley. Again, this is part two of our interview series with Dr. Kirk Parsley about sleep. We didn't know it was going to be an interview series, but the first episode was so informative and so useful that I thought we would do it again. On this podcast, we break into what supplements work, what science is real, are wearables actually valuable for you, or are they just selling you a bill of goods, and what is the best thing for you to do to make sure that you are sleeping better. This podcast was really tactical. We dove into the weeds, and I think that it's the one that you're going to be able to take and really apply towards your lifestyle on a day-to-day basis. Remember, if you're finding this podcast interesting and valuable, head to wherever you're listening, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and share this with a friend. Value shared is better than value hoarded, right? You don't want to be the person who holds on to all the information. Share it with your friends, rate the podcast, review the podcast, help other people gain the value that you got from it, and let's get to the show. Dr. Kirk Parsley, the fastest turnaround from first podcast to second podcast in the history of the Active Life Podcast. Hey, I got to be, got to be the fastest at something. That's the, <laughs> that's certainly not going to be running anywhere. So that's fair. Um, since our last podcast, uh, it was so interesting. It was almost immediately after you and I chatted. I was a guest on a podcast. I drove my. I was. I was going into the city, right, and. The night before, my kids were just waking me and my wife up, and I think I woke up at like one thirty in the morning and fell back to sleep uh, probably sometime around, I don't know, 4 or 5, the sun was starting to come up, and the only reason I know that is because I was walking my kids back and forth to their bedrooms, right? And and I have a skylight uh-huh. in the hallway. Our, our bedroom's completely yeah. black, and I did not check my clock. I'm gauging, right? Um, All right. But-, but Based on the way I felt the next day, I go to this podcast. It was the first time in my life that I was conscious that I was not hearing all of the words that this person was asking me. Uh, I, yeah. I was not computing what they were trying to get at. I was trying so hard to focus on what they were saying. And it just, you, you became very prominent in my brain in that moment about what, like, what do we do when we know I got a big thing <clears throat> tomorrow and tonight the sleep just didn't happen. There is no going back. Right. What do, what do we right. do? Yeah. Well, so, you know, the, the, the general rules of the morning don't change, you know, whether or not you've, uh, whether or not you've gotten good sleep. Um, so I, I think we probably talked about it on a lot on the last podcast, when you, when you don't get enough sleep the way, your body compensates is by releasing more stress hormones, right? So uh, cortisol is considered called the stress hormone. Uh, there's actually lot, lots of stress hormones, but you know that's that's the primary one people think about, and it gets a bad rap as though it's a negative thing, and it's not. I mean, cortisol is a hormone that is designed to keep us alert in proportion to our environment, right? So if you're in fight or flight, right? that's the most alert you'll ever be because you're in a situation where your life is in danger uh, or your, your well being is in danger at the least, or somebody you love care about uh, is in grave danger as well. Um, either one of those situations, your stress hormones go so high that you essentially become superhuman, right? You'd be, uh, 
your your pulmonary tree dilates. You take in more oxygen than you can ordinarily take in. Your heart rate increases. Your blood pressure increases. Your pupils dilate. You're taking in more light. <clears throat> All your senses get better. Uh, you, you know, the vascular beds in your skin shunt so that you don't bleed very much if you get cut. Um, your pain threshold goes up. Uh, that high level of cortisol mobilizes all your stored glycogen, your blood glucose goes up. So now you have energy, you have oxygen, you have high pain threshold, you have faster reflexes. Unfortunately, your prefrontal cortex shuts off um, because that's the region of your brain that allows you to think and reason and plan. And you don't want to think, reason or plan when you're in a fight or flight situation, you want to react. <clears throat> so that's one of the things that allows your reflexes to be faster. So when you just, when you're just a little sleep deprived and you don't have enough energy to do what you need to do during the day, you don't have enough attention to do what you need to do during the day, your body compensates by increasing cortisol. Now, the reason we don't run around in the state that we're in when we're in fight or flight, right? Cause it'd be, it'd be nice to have that extra strength and endurance and pain threshold and reflexes. Like it'd be great to just have that all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, why don't we just run around like that all the time? Well, because it's very catabolic, which means that you're using your body as a fuel source. Um, and you can only use your body as a fuel source for so long before there's no more fuel and you die. So um, when you don't get enough sleep and you have a little extra cortisol to wake you up, you're still feeling like crap because it's just enough really to wake you up. Um, so you still need to do the same things that will increase your cortisol level, right? One of the first things that you want to do in the, you know, the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes uh, of the day is to go out and get some bright light. Uh, if you can't get bright light and you know, you can do it within indoor lighting with some pretty high, has to be like 10,000 lux. It has to be like a pretty high uh, light load. And it doesn't go straight in your eyes. It's like 30 degrees above your eye, your eyesight. Cause that's where, you know, low sunlight would be. And that actually uh, increases cortisol level. Excuse me. Um, but it also starts changing the metabolism and neurotransmitters of your brain and how your body's dealing with, uh, you know, your hormones and how it's dealing with your blood glucose levels and all that other stuff. Everything, you know, you start entraining your circadian rhythm, but that entrainment of the circadian rhythm actually leads to an increase of energy as well, an increase of uh, performance, let's say. Um, and you can do the same thing through uh, exercise, right? So, um, doing some fairly intense, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do enough to like wear myself out, but like, if I knew I'm really sleep deprived and I've done this because, you know, ironically, when I, when I lecture on sleep about half the time I'm sleep deprived because of mm -hmm. the sleep, you know, because of the travel schedule and the way things unfold, it's just like, uh, I'm only going to get six hours of sleep tonight before I do my sleep lecture happens all the time. So I get up in the morning and I get my bright light in and I do, you know, something like burpees, you know, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do like a real workout with it. I'm just going to do enough to like really get myself kind of gassed. Uh, you know, and for me, that's not that many. I mean, I probably 20 and I'm like, my, my heart's racing and I'm breathing heavy and it's like, okay. And then I go about getting ready and I'll do, I, I'll do a few more. I'll do you know, something similar to that. Make sure I take the stairs. And of course, caffeine, I mean, caffeine does work. Um, you know, it, it, it blocks, um, you know, it, it, it blocks something called adenosine receptors in our brain, 
um, you know, when we break down, when every cell in our body is using ATP, it's adenosine triphosphate, right? So it's an adenosine molecule with three phosphates. Every time you take off a phosphate group, it releases energy and that's how the cells do their work. And when you end up with just adenosine in the, in the brain, that's your brain, that's a signal to your brain that you're tired and you need to go to sleep and that causes sleep pressure. Um, so when you drink caffeine, it blocks those adenosine receptors. <clears throat> Doesn't do it for that long. Um, which is why you feel a crash after coffee because your adenosine is continuing to build up and then the, the caffeine goes away and then you feel even worse. But if you got to get through a podcast, you got to get through a lecture, you know, that works well. Modafinil, uh, also called Provigil, that's a great alert, uh, alert uh, enhancing drug. It works on several neurotransmitters. We, To be honest, we don't know exactly how it works. We just know that it works on several neurotransmitters that will keep you you know, that will keep you alert um, throughout the, you know, six to eight hour range um, with, with a single dose of that. And it doesn't seem to interfere with sleep. Uh, if you, if you take it sort of first thing in the morning, you go to sleep at a normal time later that night, you should get a decent night's sleep. Nowhere near as hard on the adrenals uh, and the brain is like a stimulant, like, you know, Ritalin or, uh, Adderall or, you know, those types of things, which are essentially, those are just forms of methamphetamine. You know, they're just, it's just other, you know, they're just other, uh, um, yeah, there's other forms of meth. Um, so those, those have a heavy physiologic toll. So I, I wouldn't rely too heavily on that. Um, you know, there's some over there, the counter supplements, uh, that can help people, um, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of acetylcholine, about 150 milligrams of acetylcholine, helps you concentrate. I take that every day, um, you know, before I come and do like administrative type work. Um, that's just a really taxing thing for my brain to do like organizational categories, categorization, like that type of stuff is really difficult for me to do. So I'm, I make sure I have that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, the, the one thing that I would avoid, uh, is you'll crave, you'll crave, uh, sugar, you'll crave uh, carbohydrates because the only reason any, you know, we're the only animal on this planet that sleep deprives ourselves intentionally. Um, every other animal will only do it if they're being preyed upon. Like, so if they're being, if they're being stalked, they'll only sleep as much as they have to, um, or if they're in famine. So <clears throat> evolutionarily speaking, it's, it's a reasonable assumption to think that our brains probably perceive sleep depression or sleep, sleep deprivation as you know, danger, like we're being stalked or perhaps famine. And so one of the things, what you'll crave during famine is, is fat and sugar, which is why we deep fry sugar bread you know, and call that a donut. And I, you know, eat and you know drink some coffee on top of that to block the adenosine. And that's how, that's how we deal with uh, sleep deprivation. But that, you don't need that glucose influx because you, you know, the average American has way more stored glycogen than they need. So that extra cortisol is going to keep your blood glucose high anyway. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't go for the sugar that you're craving. I'd go for fat, fat and protein uh, to keep yourself from having that glucose crash. That's inevitable. So a little recap there is you didn't sleep well the night before, but you have something big going on. The yeah. best options for you, Get some sunlight, exert yourself yeah. physically enough to get a little bit winded, not enough to be beat up from your workout. Yeah. Don't, don't exhaust yourself or you're just going to crash harder. So right. just enough to like get yourself, 
tired, like one set of something. If you're exercising, like you know, something else, you just get your breathing heavy and just do that intermittently, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, um, instead of eating sugar and carbohydrates, focus on your proteins and your fats, even though your body feels like it wants the carbohydrates, that's just a little trick. Your brain thinks you need that burst, but you don't. And and one of the things that cortisol does because it's catabolic, it's you, it starts using your muscles as a, as a fuel source for amino acids. So pro, proteins are a really good thing to take in when you're under high stress hormones. I see. So the cortisol that you're releasing is in excess. And so what will happen is it'll break down yeah. your muscles, pull the amino acids out of your muscles. And so eating protein supplies us with the amino acids that we would otherwise be pulling from ourselves. It shuts down the cortisol response and our body says, okay, I, I'm good now. I don't need this. Um, and yeah. then well, you you'll, still, you'll still have the cortisol response. You just won't you just won't, you, you won't have to break down your muscle to get the protein right. or to get that amino acids. Right. Yeah. Then the yeah. next thing you said was acetylcholine. And I'm, I'm interested in learning yeah. about acetylcholine because it's a, it's a supplement I've never taken myself. And I'm interested yeah. in learning what is, first of all, I know that the answer is it depends. What are the ranges of how much somebody would be taking of that? Is it an all day lasting thing? Is it a take it right mm. before the task? Like talk to me about what acetylcholine is and how it works. <clears throat> Um, so, so acetylcholine is, is, is the primary neurotransmitter, right? So not just for your brain, but, you know, for your peripheral nervous system as well, you know, like one neuron, you know, you think, you know, they, they can have like a, they can have like a, it can be pretty long and it has, you know, it has a little cleft at the end that secretes neurotransmitters and communicates with other neurons to cause muscles to fire or regions of your brain to activate or whatever, whatever it's doing, uh, interpret sensory, but acetylcholine is one of the primary neurotransmitters. Um, so if you're, if you're depleted on acetylcholine, which does happen, that's one of the things that happens when you're awake for too long. Um, you know, as you, as you stay awake longer and longer, your neuro, the neurochemistry of your brain shifts, uh, and it shifts obviously towards a less productive way. Um, one of the ra- one of the reasons is a slight tangent. I won't go too far off it, but you know, one of the things that gets secreted by the adrenals as well as cortisol during stress is epinephrine and norepinephrine. And norepinephrine is uh, epinephrine is adrenaline essentially, and norepinephrine is adrenaline for the brain. And that makes you feel alert, which is what makes you feel alert during fight or flight. But it also shuts down the prefrontal cortex. It interferes with your with the functioning of the part of our brain that makes us the smartest animal on the planet. And so you don't want to rely too heavily on adrenaline. Uh, That will keep you alive, but it's not going to help you function intellectually, problem solving, cognitively, verbal fluency, all that stuff, not going to be better. So you're better off by replenishing the normal neurotransmitters that are involved in that, which acetylcholine is one of the primary ones. So we have things that we call alert. We have neurotransmitters that we call alert promoting uh, neurotransmitters. There's really no neurotransmitter to cause you to go to sleep. It's the lack of weight promoting mm-hmm. neurotransmitters. Once the weight promoting neurotransmitters go low enough, you you're asleep. So it, it's it's a tautology and you know circular definition, but the best definition of being asleep is the lack of being awake. Um, and so you want to increase weight promoting neurotransmitters um, in which acetylcholine is one of the primary ones. Um, now, what is the dose of it? I don't know, to be honest. Um, 
I, you know, I work with, um, you know, probably a few thousand people at this point, definitely in the high hundreds, if, if not thousands. Um, and I work with them on these types of things. I've never seen anybody do well uh, on, I say above about 500 milligrams of acetylcholine. The problem is the brand matters. You know, supplements aren't that well regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, they're horribly regulated, in fact. And so you can get it, one brand that's five, right, you know, that says it's 500 milligrams and you're maybe getting 100 milligrams out of it. And you can get one that says it's 100 and you're getting 500. They're, they're not that great. So you go with, go with high quality brands. Um, it, if you're interested, the one I take is now in NOW. It's orange, orange label with blue and white writing. Um, and, uh, about 150 milligrams seems to be right for most people without getting them too excited. Um, but some people just need more, either it's not getting into their blood brain barrier very well, or they just, there's somebody who just requires a lot more of it, but I've never seen anybody go over 500 and do well. When, when you start going too high, you'll notice it has the opposite effect. You'll be really distracted. Your verbal fluency will go down. Your brain's kind of mm-hmm. scattered. You'll, you'll have a hard time concentrating when it gets, when it gets too high and you'll, you'll feel kind of a little hot and, you know, higher poles probably. It's like giving yourself ADHD on purpose. Well, sleep deprivation gives you ADHD. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard. So really what we're trying to compensate for is, is the lack of the prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. working. Right. And that's, that's all ADHD is right. ADHD isn't, it isn't, it isn't even necessarily a deficit in attention. It's inappropriate attention. Uh, people with ADHD can very often hyperfocus. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of neurosurgeons have ADHD. A lot of transcontinental pilots have ADHD because they can just focus on, you know, this one millimeter square for seven or eight hours and then be like, what, what happened? <laughs> like, I, like, you know, forget, they forgot everything else in the whole world was cloud. They wouldn't know it. Um, so, uh, but if you look at the symptoms of, uh, ADHD or ADD, and then you look at the symptoms of sleep deprivation they're identical, um, and about 80% of school age kids are sleep deprived right now. So I always tell people, Hey, when, when you're, if anybody ever tries to diagnose your kid with ADHD, you make sure that your kid sleeps well for a week or two before they go in and get testing. Even if you have to pull them out of school, you know, or have them miss a couple of hours of school every day, like make sure they're well, they get good sleep for a couple of weeks before they go in uh, because you can't tell the difference between those two. And I think that's why the, uh, well, I mean, there's a couple of reasons, but I think that's one of the main reasons that we have such an epidemic of ADHD in America because we have such an epidemic of sleep deprivation everybody competing to get into college. And so staying up late to do their homework and getting up early to go practice their sport or activity or whatever club they have to be in to be competitive for the school they want to go to bit of a tangent, but yeah, 150 milligrams to 500 milligrams is the answer to the acetylcholine. I'm yeah. surprised you don't, you don't have an acetylcholine line or some, or like, like you have, you have your sleep remedy, which I do want to talk about. I'm surprised yeah. you don't have your wake remedy. Well, I, I, I'm actually just about to launch uh, four, four different supplements about uh, 
about two months apart. Um, I've wanted to, well, I've always wanted them. Uh, and, and, you know, and I developed, I developed a sleep remedy while working with the seals mm -hmm. with their sleep issues. And I gave them all the daytime support. So, um, but I didn't, I, I never wanted to, you know, I never wanted to be a supplement salesman. And, and like, as a doctor, like I, I, like I want somebody else to make the supplement. I, but, um, uh, yeah, the, the, we can, we can talk about it, uh, when, whenever you want to, but like the kind of the whole evolution of all that, but, um, the seals really harangued me into making it. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to, like mm -hmm. I, they, but they were going out and buying each, each ingredient individually. And this was pre-Amazon days. So they were having to go, you know, the three different stores and, you know, buy, you know, this powder and this liquid and these pills. And, uh, you know, these were in 90 day supplies. These are 30 day supplies. Like, it, and it was, a, it was a mess and they just wanted me to make a product. So I was like, all right, I'll just step away and I'll, I'll step away from brick and mortar for a year. I'll launch this thing. I'll put somebody in charge of it. I'll go back to practice. Right. That was nine years ago. And I'm, you know, I'm still running the damn business. Uh, but you know, we, like, you know, we, like, we never raised any money for us. Like me, Peter Atia and Rob Wolf, just like throwing some change out of our pocket. We started this thing for nothing. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've never really tried, like I've tried to make it as big as I could being part-time as a doctor, just through influential friends and stuff. But like, we've never really had a, like a proper company around it. Um, and so now in the last year or two, I've kind of developed a real, you know, a real company, a real corporate base with some really good employees. And so we just decided about three months ago that we're finally going to launch. So like, I'm, I'm going to do like a, like, yeah, like you're talking about like an adrenal support, weight promoting uh, one. And then I'm going to do uh, a male hormone and a female hormone that's great. One and, and then like a daytime stress formula. Well, yeah. I, th I think the reason why um, I like hearing that is because of what you said before. Mm. It's the supplement industry is so unreliable. And so you don't even know, you know, you don't know what you're buying. You don't know if you're yeah. buying. Uh, that, that's a kind, that's a very kind word. I'm a, I mean, I'm, I'm a kind guy, it, Doc. It, I'm a kind they're, guy. They're smarmy. It, it's a smarmy industry. That's yeah. the way I've always described it. Well, I, uh, because I, I tried to have somebody just make the product for me. That was my first thing. I was just like, oh, I'll just work with some supplement company. And man, they were like, right. Well, yeah, I, it I, was a, it, I started thinking about if I wanted to source all the different ingredients that I would use, right? He's mentioning acetylcholine in the morning. He's mentioning, um, yeah. you know, the, the sleep remedy. You've already made it for the evening. Uh, yeah. I'm like, well, now I have to know if the acetylcholine I'm buying is acetylcholine. Right. It, even if you right. buy like the pure product, is it actually the pure product? There's so much. So um, right. it's good to hear that you're going to be releasing some of those other things. Yeah. Um, a, a small aside, not to take us off track too far. Um, <clears throat> a little trick for the people who are waking up really early to get into those clubs to make themselves attractive for college. Um, I was mm -hmm. in a lot of clubs to get into college and I never was in any of those clubs. They didn't check. I right? like, like push, push it a little bit. I'm not telling you to lie. I'm telling you, you know, I went to, yeah. Oh, I, I attended meetings for the following clubs. That's, that's, that's good. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> well, but, I can, uh, a, a tangent to your side. When I went to, uh, 
when I went to college, so I was, I was a high school dropout. Um, had to go to junior college for two years just to be able to get into college. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I should go to the best college I can go to because the medical, you know, medical schools will care that I got a 4.0 from this college versus that college. And, uh, when you apply, you haven't even finished college yet, right? You're applying during your junior year. And all they do is have you list the courses that you took, you know, there's prerequisites for medical school. You have to have this much biology, this much chemistry, this much OCHEM, like whatever. You just list the courses that you took and the grade that you got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody gives you a crap where you went. And I was like, man, I could have gone to San Diego state and gotten 4.0 with hardly any effort, but I go to UCSD. It's like, uh, I think something like 80% of the students starting UCSD are pre-med. So it's like, you're competing against, you mm-hmm. know, like every like super, super serious student in California is going there. Um, so it was that that's my advice to people for those types of things too. Now, there, there is no adjusting for that. Like, you know, they don't, they don't really care. Yeah. Unless, I mean, I guess if you went to Harvard or Yale or Columbia or something like, you know, maybe, but any, I, anywhere else, just like doesn't matter. I can echo that. I took all I took all the really hard prereqs: the organic chemistry, the you know the the biochem, the one, the two. I took those at community college, and it just didn't let them yeah. affect my GPA. But so, um, a question for you about sleep deprivation: Is it something that you can train to be better at? And I'm, I, I want I want to I want to be careful. I I, I want to put a disclaimer out there. I'm I'm not looking for a hack for how people can live sleep deprived. <clears throat> what I'm looking right. for is I just go back to that podcast I was on and I'm like, it was, it was, it was a big opportunity. It was a great show. I think I did a good job. I know I could have done a better job and it eats at me. And so what I'm thinking about is, is there a way that I could prepare myself for those moments when I, it's just, it's going to happen, right? It's, it, it's going to yeah. happen again. If I want to keep going on podcasts right. and speaking on stages, is there anything that, I can do or that anybody can do to prepare themselves to perform better when they're sleep deprived. Yep. What is, it? is. <laughs> what is What is it? I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw it right back at you. Um, is there anything that anybody can do to be better at a novel exercise? Yeah. So I had a feeling you would just, yeah. I had a feeling you would go this way. I just wasn't right. sure if it was making it worse. You know, like th- there's sometimes yeah. when it's like, you know, Hey, actually putting yourself in that situation is not such a good idea. Um, but I'm hearing right. you, it's beastly. So, so what? So it's just like, Hey, if, if I like, you know, the CrossFit games kind of started that way, right. It was like, Hey, you're going to show up and, anybody's best guess if you're going to have to run a marathon or, you know, do one rep maxes, like who, who knows. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's the best way to prepare? Well, just do all of it, be good at everything, right. Be healthy. There. And so, you know, that that's one of the reasons I'm not crazy about super, uh, super restrictive diets, you know, um, <clears throat> because you need to be resilient, right. You need to be, metabolically resilient. You need to be psychologically resilient. You need to be physiologically resilient. And so the best way, the best way to be good at sleep deprivation is to be really well rested most of the time and to be in really good shape, to be in good physical shape, to be in good physiologic shape, to eat well, to control your stress. Well, you know, 
sleep, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sleep is the foundation of everything. I, I say that's the platform. I used to say there are four pillars of health, sleep, exercise, nutrition, and then stress. Now I say, well, there's there's three pillars that sit on the platform of sleep. So sleep is the foundation because everything else depends on that. If you don't sleep well, you it, you know what you eat doesn't matter nearly as as much because you just you can't you know your body doesn't uh, partition the fuel well. Um, you really shouldn't be exercising intensely if you aren't exercising well uh, or if you aren't sleeping well. I mean, and then you really uh, all you can do by controlling your stress, if you aren't sleeping well, is minimize the damage that you're doing to yourself by not sleeping well. Mm-hmm. So sleep is a foundation. You have to do it. But then, you know, eat the way you evolved to eat, move the way you evolved to move and, you know, learn five or six different ways to control your stress. Um, you know, just controlling your stress a, a tiny bit, um, <clears throat> you know, and one of the ways to control your stress is to cause stress and rebound from it. That's what the ice baths are about, which I should have mentioned that that would be a good uh, that'd be a good thing to do in the morning if you're sleep deprived. It doesn't have to be an ice bath if you don't have one. Just like you know, put the shower on cold for the last thirty seconds, a minute of your shower or something. That stressor, you know, that increases cortisol level, but it changes a lot of changes a lot of your physiology. Changes uh, you know things with heat shock proteins get involved, and you you start cellular metabolism starts changing a little bit. Um, but anyway, you know, the best way to be able to handle sleep deprivation is the same way is the same thing is the same thing that makes you the best at handling a novel diet or novel exercise or a high stress situation. It's just being very resilient, being very good at everything. Right. So, um, you know, most of what everybody's looking for, they're looking for short-term solutions or medical solutions for life, for, uh, for lifestyle problems. Right. Um, And, if you, it, it's all about lifestyle. If you, if you live a good solid lifestyle, I mean, I get sleep deprived 20, 30 times a year, uh, just because, you know, the way I travel and what, and what I do for a living and it just happens. Um, and I'm fine. Like I, I can handle, I can handle the day or two of poor sleep because I, I'm, I sleep eight, nine hours a night, almost every other night that I'm not sleep deprived. And I, eat well and I exercise regularly and I, you know, get my sunlight and I, you know, um, and I main, you know, I control my stress all day. Um, you know, I, I'm very good about recognizing when I'm feeling under a little stress and just taking a break and doing a little breath work, you know, going on a walk, whatever it is I need to do, do some stretching, do some progressive muscle relaxation, do a little meditation, whatever it is. But, and I just kind of settle myself down. And every time you do that during the day, you, know, you bring your stress down a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and you, and it teaches you, teaches your body how to bring your stress down, you know? Uh, and that's one of the big things that will get in your way with anything novel, whether it's sleep deprivation and changing your diet because you're traveling or changing your exercise because you try to do some stuff with your friends you aren't used to doing or, you know, divorce or bankruptcy, a child gets sick, parent gets sick, something like that. Like your, your best bet for being able to handle that is having a good lifestyle. You, you mentioned, I mean, you just made a, you just made a whole statement about lifestyle and I want to, I want to jump to that for a second because what I see a lot of people doing these days is trying to adjust for not having a great lifestyle in terms that one that promotes health and well-being, 
by taking supplements, by hacking, by doing all these little things that are meant to, well, you don't need to do this if you take this, if you don't need to do this, if you take this. And I think, I think, and it's interesting because you have a sleep supplement that you sell and I believe Mm -hmm. in it. Right. And, and it's, it's something that I'm going to share in the show notes so that people can find it. And so I find myself in this position where I'm like, well, there's, there's use for some of this stuff. And then some of this stuff, you've just been sold the bill of goods. And right. if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're really saying is, and please correct me if I'm wrong. If you're doing all of these things, <clears throat> you don't necessarily need a sleep supplement. It's the fact that we know right. most people are not doing all of these things. And if the platform mm-hmm. on which everything else lives is sleep and you're going to take one supplement, it might as well be the one that helps you to build the platform on which everything else can live. Is that correct? Right. Right. Yeah. So the way I, the way I describe it to my clients is now keep in mind, I mean, the, the one rule that I'd say the most important rule about health that everybody needs to understand, whether they think they're an expert or they think they're complete novice, the most important thing to know is that we don't really know anything, right? Like we, we act like we know a lot of stuff and we don't like everything we think we know right now at least half of that will be proven wrong in the next year or two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the best possible thing that you can do and the way I build, the way I build the foundation for every client I have is I say, Hey, you've been evolving for millions of years. This body is at least a hundred thousand years old, probably 200,000 years old. Meaning if, if you could get, if, if you could fertilize an egg, an egg and, an, and a sperm from back then and implant it today that there'd be no difference in how that human turned out because this body is old and it's been on this planet for a long time and it evolved. I mean, we are part of the planet. We aren't on this planet. We're part of it just like trees are part of it. And so we have a role and like we, de- we were designed to go to sleep when the sun goes down and we were designed to wake up around the time the sun comes up because we're very visual animals and we can't see at night. And so it makes a lot of sense. And we're not, we're not very tough, strong, fierce fighters without, you know, weapons, you know, so like we're, we're pretty vulnerable animals. So, you know, we, we, we evolved to be on this planet and we know how we evolved, right? Like you, you, you don't have to know a whole lot. You can just use your imagination from what you've, from what little you know about history. And you can think, all right, well, what did people eat 200 years ago? How did people sleep 200 years ago? How physical were people 200 years ago? Like that's, it's pretty obvious, right? Like you don't need a whole lot of education, but now we have all these other gadgets now, right? Now we can, now now we can look into your genes. We can see like what sort of, you know, what sort of snips do you have? What sort of little changes in your genes do you have? We can look at all sorts of blood markers. We can look at hormones. We can look at peptides. We can look at metabolic markers. We can get micronutrients. We can look at your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your blood pressure. We can do all these tests and we can say, Hey, we know this is the ideal way for you to live. Like I can see, like, how do you handle carbohydrates? How do you handle proteins? How do you handle fat? You know, how does your body fuel partition? What is your clamp test? If I give you this much glucose, how well do you simulate it? All this stuff. And I can now keep in mind, I'm only testing for that moment. Your body's dynamic and it can change 50% in 24 hours and most things. But you know, let's say you trusted all the science. We tested everything we could and we'd say, all right, here's ideal. Like, here's the ideal line. You live all this stuff like, and this is, this is the ideal way to live your life. And here's the litany of all the things you can do. Realistically, unless you're, 
unless your entire life is built around living the ideal life, meaning you don't have any external drivers, you aren't going to ever have any sick kids, you don't have any demands being made by other people in your life, you don't have to go to work, you know, you don't you don't have to worry about money, you don't have to worry about where your food's coming. That's not realistic. If you could live ideally, this is this is the best science can tell you what to do. And 99% of that's going to be live like you evolved to live. Okay. But let's, let's just say we're going to use all the science and we're going to figure out exactly what you need. Well, here's reality, right? This is as close as you can get. You do everything you can, like, bam, I'm this far away. What are I doing here? That's where you supplement. That's what the word supplement means, right? It's supplemental. So I don't care if that's like, I don't really know how to meditate, but I need to meditate. So I wear, you know, what are the muses? And it teaches me how to meditate. And I use diurnal beats to help me meditate or something like that's a supplement, right? An ice, an ice bath is a supplement. A sauna is a supplement. Nutritional supplements are supplements, peptides, hormones. Like there's all sorts of things that you can do to get closer to that ideal. You'll never hit the ideal, but you bridge that with supplemental activities and supplemental compounds and supplemental gadgets and all that type of stuff. So that's, that's where I fall out with supplements and, and, you know, truth be told the way, just the way society's developed, the way the, the, you know, the enormous variability in the quality of food you're getting from day to day from the same grocery store. Um, definitely when you go out to restaurants, you have no idea um, the lack of, uh, organ meats, you know, like, you know, we, we can live as carnivores, right. Um, and we can live quite healthfully as carnivores, but all carnivores prioritize organs, right? You look at a lion, a lion doesn't eat the muscles of any animal he, he kills. He eats, he eats all the organs, right? Uh, that's, that's where a lot of the nutritional density is. So, uh, with the lack of us doing a lot of that stuff, supplements are more likely to be needed, um, and as far, and, you know, we, we, as I said, we're a couple of hundred thousand, at least a hundred thousand years old, but a hundred thousand years ago, we were all much closer to the equator than we are now. And so the vitamin D supplementation is almost a certainty, you know, even when you get up, you know, as far from the equator as Austin, you know, like uh, I'm not, I'm not super high up there, but definitely up in New York, you're, you're going to need vitamin D supplementation probably nine months out of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's, that's my sh- Spiel, 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 spiel on supplements. Well, what 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 I find the argument that I hear often that um, my lizard brain goes off and says bullshit, 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 and I'm curious if it's bullshit or if I'm just you know convincing myself that it is <clears throat> is the the accepted reality that our uh, the nutrient value in a carrot today is less than the nutrient value in a carrot a hundred years ago. And so we could eat three times as many carrots and we wouldn't get the same amount of beta carotene as a, for example, as we would have gotten from one of them a hundred years ago. And so without supplements, we actually cannot achieve a complete nutrition panel. Um, That, that comes across to me as maybe like maybe if you're maybe, but it just doesn't I, seem I, like I think I think it's I think it's unlikely. Um I, I, I mean I think you're right. I think it's unlikely. Um definitely there are soil differences with monocrops, right? Big mm-hmm. corporate 
you know, big corporate farming is where most of the grocery store comes from, right? If you're buying locally, you're probably getting what you would have gotten a hundred years That's what I'm years thinking. Ago. Um, you know, but if, if you're buying from a big corporate, you know, farmer, you know, they have a hundred thousand acres of one, of one pro, you know, one, uh, one vegetable or whatever, one fruit, whatever they're doing. Um, you know, and they're, and you know, they're obviously, you know, turning over their soil and putting a bunch of fertilizers and pesticides and who knows what else. So like that, that's possibly a problem. Um, and it's not something that I would thumb my nose at, but you know, the only way to really know is to test. Right. Um, and, and what I find when I do, uh, you know, when I, when I test people's, when I do a metabolic panel on somebody, I'm looking at their, at their micronutrients, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty typical what, what people are, what people are low on. Um, and, um, so I, I think something like a, a multivitamin, multi-mineral, just something simple. It's like an insurance policy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, cause today, yeah, today, maybe my magnesium's fine. Three or four days from now, maybe my magnesium's low, right? We go, okay, what's, what's the big deal with magnesium? If I, if I don't feel any different, why does it matter? It's like, well, you know, because of a million things, because of a million chemical reactions going on in your body. One of the things we know, if you're magnesium deficient, you're more likely to form atherosclerosis. If you have higher magnesium levels, then your arteries don't calcify as much. Why is that? I don't really know. I don't think anybody really knows, but we know that that's a correlation. So, you know, maintain your micronutrient density with, you know, a simple, a simple supplement, I think. Uh, and you don't need to go buy some, you know, $300 a month, male, female kit, uh, you know, just buy yourself a good, uh, you know, buy yourself a, a good um, mineral supplement, vitamin supplement. Usually you can get it together. Well, what, you I, know? what I find most paradoxical about that whole situation is I think everybody, even in that category of saying like, yeah, no, all of our nutrient density is less because of monocrop farming and all this kind of stuff. Those are people who are also aware that regenerative farming and most local practices are going to give you a totally different product than what you're going to get from that other place. So they know where they can get the food source that is not deprived of those nutrients. The other thing that these people know is that eating your food is going to be better than supplementing with any pill. That is not that Absolutely. that nutrition in its natural state. And so the gap yeah. in price that you're going to pay for the better food is probably similar or even less than the nutrition, like the supplement stack that you're going to put yourself on. And if you're in the category of knowing about this, having awareness around this, you know both of those things. So why not just buy the better right. food? Well, I, would, I mean, I, I would push on that and just that I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the nutritional density of everything that I get. Right. Um, and something like a multivitamin, multimineral, I can probably get for 15 bucks a month or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like 50 cents a day. And I'm, I'm taking that as an insurance policy. If I don't need it, I'll pay it out. Right. Sure. It'll, I'll, you know, it'll, it'll just be wasted. Uh, but if I do need it, I've got it. Um, and I wouldn't, and I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's essential uh, to health. I, I, like I'm, I'm with you, um, buy, buy the best food you, you can buy and source locally. Um, and you know, but 
you know, I travel about 120 days a year. Um, so then that's kind of blown out for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, right. um, and, um, you know, that I, I, uh, you know, I, I source my meat from local ranchers, so that's no problem. But when you're talking about fruits and vegetables, I really, like, I'm really only getting them from the grocery store. We have a farmer's market here, you know, but it's what four hours on a Sunday. And if I don't happen to get it to that Sunday, it's like, well, I'm just going to buy something from the grocery store. And I, you know, so I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that, um, you could get by, you could certainly get by without it. Um, you could certainly get by without it. Um, to me, it's, it's just a, it's a kind of a simple no brainer. So what, what I don't like, um, as far as hacks, first of all, I hate the word hack, uh, because the word hack to me means that you're trying to get results without doing the work, right? That it's a hack is a cheat, right? It's, it's a way of getting a reward that you don't, you haven't earned. Um, and so I, I don't like that concept. And so I don't like the concept of like, well, you know, if you put, you know, if you put butter in your coffee, then you don't need to do these other normal parts of life or something. It's like bullshit. Like, like you need, you need to live, you need to live the best life that you can possibly live. And then you can, you can figure out what little supplement things help for you. And that can, you know, that could be something you add to your coffee. That could be a multivitamin or multimineral that you take. That could be, like I said, that could be, ice baths or saunas, or that could be meditation software, whatever it is, uh, supplements to help, you know, you can take something like phosphatidylserine during the day and it lowers your cortisol levels. If you're stressed out all the time and you're not really good at controlling your stress. Well, that's a, that's a reasonable investment. Like you're going through a divorce, you're going through a bankruptcy, going through a tough time with your business. Take this, you know, take this supplement, you know, for the next 30 to 60 days, whatever, and get off of it. You know, like uh, as long as you have an exit strategy, you're not using it as a, as a crutch to avoid doing what you need to do. Uh, um, then I, then I'm, I'm all about supplementing in, in the truest, in the truest form, uh, but not expecting supplement. I'm, I'm not expecting a supplement to, uh, I'm not expecting a, a supplement to take the place of me doing the right thing. It's just, it's, it's sort of a mitigation. It's an insurance policy when I, when I think I'm doing the right thing and I'm not getting enough, or when I know I'm not quite doing the right thing, you know, it's a little bit of a mitigation tool you know, so, to, to keep me from, keep it from being as physiologically expensive. I want to move off supplements and I'll come back to them later on because I want to learn about what's in sleep remedy and answer some questions that I've gotten from people when I've started telling them about it. But in the meantime, um, one of the, one of the things that I've heard a lot of doctors asking their patients to get tested for that I've almost never, I can't think of that. I'm sure I have, but I can't think of someone who's come back negative is getting tested for sleep apnea. And, yeah. and, and so, so I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that because it's one of those things where like my, my parents Right. They, they're one of their doctors yeah. was like, you should get tested for sleep apnea. And they both were like, fuck yeah. that. Like everybody who gets tested ends up on a CPAP and it can't be possible that everybody has. Isn't that, isn't that just a hell of a coincidence? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so I would love to hear your thoughts. on Like, that. Hey, we do this test. And if you fail this test, we give you this device, mm -hmm. <laughs> which your insurance company, tens of thousands of dollars. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a coincidence. Uh, um, so 
uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that I I get ripped for all the time is telling people the sleep sleep apnea is ninety percent that ninety five percent of the time is a lifestyle disorder. Um, I'll briefly cover some things. I I mean, I could I could go. I could go deep in this for three hours, but um, <clears throat> so what, one thing that we know for sure is that chronic sleep deprivation leads to sleep apnea. Why is that? Well, it's hard to say exactly, but here's, here's one postulate. This is my, this is my postulate, uh, my favorite one, at least. Um, so we talked about how when you when you don't get enough sleep, you increase your cortisol level, right? You increase your stress hormones. We don't just increase them during the morning. You increase them throughout the whole day. And now when you're trying to go to sleep, there's a threshold of, of, of stress hormones that will allow you to sleep. If your stress hormones are too high, right? So if, you're, if you've had a long, hard day and you lay down in your bed to go to sleep um, and then a car crashes into the front of your house, are you going to just go to sleep anyway, because it's time to go to sleep? No, no. And you're not going to feel sleepy either. You're going to be wide awake because there's this big stressor and you're going to have a ton of extra stress hormones. And so one of the things that people don't recognize is that your stress level is your stress hormones are progressively getting higher, right? Because if I, if I sleep great all the time, and now I don't get enough sleep today. The last night, say I slept six hours instead of eight. Now I need more stress hormones to get through the through today. And so now when I'm going to go to sleep tonight, my stress hormones are going to be a little higher. Well, one of the things that allows us to go to sleep is having low enough stress hormones. They, they're supposed to progressively get lower through the day. So if my sleep pressure is high enough, just meaning I'm tired enough, I've exhausted myself enough, I can go to sleep with high stress hormones. But as we talked about last time, the most anabolic time of your day. So the time when all of your all of your anabolic hormones, all your sex hormones and all your anabolic hormones are being made and regulated, weighed and measured and you know, the sensitivity to them is being adjusted. That's all happening during deep sleep. Deep sleep is the lowest stress hormones you will have during any 24 hour period. Ideally, your stress hormones should be almost unmeasurable during deep sleep. And then they progressively go up. Like your first sleep cycle is almost all deep. And then the next sleep cycle is a little less deep and a little more REM. And that progresses until their last sleep cycle is like almost all REM and very little deep. And throughout that time, so you're not doing as much deep sleep, your stress hormones are creeping up, creeping up, creeping up throughout the entire night. And then they're at some threshold, they're going to be high enough to wake you up. Well, if I'm going to sleep with high stress hormones, I'm still going to go into deep sleep, but I'm not going to go as deep. I'm not, it's not going to be as anabolic. I'm not going to get as much recovery. And now if I sleep six hours again, I'm twice, I'm probably four times as bad off. If I slept eight hours, just because I had high stress hormones, it might've been the same as six hours. And I'm still going to need more stress hormones the next day. See what I'm saying? So yes. you're, you're increasing your overall load of stress hormones, which are catabolic and those, and you're keeping those high like all the time. And now you're having a hard time going to sleep. Well, have you ever been in fight or flight? Like you ever been in a car wreck or fist fight or mm -hmm. nearly a fist fight? You're like, and you notice that, that heaving that 
that that type of breath that you're doing right you're not necessarily breathing faster but you're using all of your accessory muscles that's because stress hormones partially paralyze the diaphragm so if you have high stress hormones while you're trying to go to sleep or while you're asleep and you've impaired your diaphragm when you go into REM sleep all of your skeletal muscles get paralyzed because REM sleep is when you're dreaming REM sleep is when you're rehearsing everything you've learned, you're rehearsing every experience you had through the day, you're reliving it, you're figuring out where to categorize emotional events, you're figuring out how to make sense of certain things that confused you during the day. And if you've learned anything new, like you're forming durable connections between that new information and old information so you can access it and be smarter or be better at whatever skill you're learning or something like that. So you don't want to act that out, right? Because if you're rehearsing, say like you're boxing, you will if you get if you've trained in boxing all day and now you're going to rehearse it at night while you're asleep, your wife doesn't want you rehearsing that for real, right? So your your muscles are going to be paralyzed so that you're not punching anybody while you're asleep. Well, now you only have your diaphragm, and if your stress hormones are high enough, right to right. where they they're impairing your diaphragm, well, now your diaphragm has to pull really really hard. And if and and if you're snoring and your airways collapse a little bit which is also a product of low uh, anabolic hormones. So testosterone being one of the primary ones, they set something called neuromuscular tension, right? So if I, if you tell me, you know, if, and you know, in your work, you would, you tell people to do this all the time. You'd say, you know, totally relax, like relax this, relax that, whatever. Do they completely relax, right? Can you completely turn off a muscle? No, no. that's how you can tell someone's dead. Like if you see someone <laughs> dead on the street or, or, you know, in a, in a coma, like somebody's mm -hmm. like, well, like their bodies look weird because they're, they aren't holding the same shape they normally have. So we have a, a certain amount, like there's a certain amount of neuromuscular tension in my bicep that makes it always look like a bicep. It's not completely flaccid. And that is set by anabolic hormones, androgenic hormones, more, more precisely. Uh, and acetylcholine, one of the things that we talked about earlier, that's, that's involved in as well. So if my, if my neuromuscular tension is higher, my muscles have a little more form. Well, that's the same thing in my palate, right? So the back of my throat has all these muscles that's holding my airway open. If my anabolic hormones, androgenic hormones are low, which happens with chronic stress and it happens with chronic sleep deprivation, it actually happens with one, one short night of sleep. So getting six hours instead of eight hours can lower your testosterone by 30% the next day. Um, but if you if I have chronically low uh, androgenic and anabolic hormones, then my neuromuscular tension point is lower. So my muscles don't have as much tension. And when I lay on my back, my airway is more likely to collapse. And now if I have stress hormones also slightly impairing my diaphragm and I have a collapsed airway, well, that's causing me to snore. And my diaphragm is having to pull past that. And when my diaphragm can't pull past that, it causes me stress. And then I wake up and I use my accessory muscles. I use my chest muscles and my obliques, you know, and I use my intercostal muscles to help me breathe. And so I wake up and that's sleep apnea. I stop breathing. I wake up to breathe. I stop breathing. I wake up to breathe. I stop breathing. You don't even have to be aware of this. Like mm -hmm. people can, you can look at this and people sleep study. Some people wake up, you know, 300 times per hour. They don't, they don't have any memory of it, but they're just waking up enough to breathe. 
the same thing happens we talked about last time, like people moving around in their bed. If you have an uncomfortable bed, if you have, you know, joint problem, you have joint pain because of, you know, orthopedic injuries or a sagging mattress or too hard of a mattress or whatever, the bed gets too hot, you cut off blood supply, you move. And every time you move, you wake up to move. So those are all interfering with sleep. And a certain amount of that is just inevitable. You're going to have to move around in, in the middle of the night. But every time I I tested, when I first started dealing with sleep in the SEAL teams, every single SEAL that I tested had sleep apnea, every one of them. And I was like, well, okay, this isn't possible. Right. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I mean, if, if, if 100% of the guys that I test have sleep apnea, then sleep apnea must be normal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. right. Uh, by definition, right? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. But what you find is that when you get people to sleep well, and you get they get a high quality of sleep and they decrease their stress hormones, uh, decreasing alcohol and sleep drugs, obviously that that affects it as well. And you improve their anabolic hormones and magically their sleep apnea goes away. Now, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine will tell you that you can't get rid of sleep apnea the same way the American Endocrine Society will tell you that you can't get rid of type two diabetes. Right. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that I do both all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people I can, you can get rid of their sleep apnea. And the interesting thing is like, it's a self cream cone, right? It's a self propagating downward spiral. So if you get, if you sleep, if you have sleep apnea, if you sleep poorly, then you don't get good quality of sleep. You don't wake up rested. You need more stress hormones. Now you need more stress hormones to get through the day. Your stress hormones are higher when you go to sleep. Now you don't get a good enough. You don't get as good of sleep. You have sleep apnea. You're getting even worse sleep. And now you're just, you're, you're just getting worse every single day, right? You're getting progressively more tired. A lot of people, you can break the cycle just by getting them not to sleep on their back. Mm-hmm. And here's how complex that is. You know, you go buy yourself uh, one of those uh, T-shirts that have the little pocket here, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you buy it a size too small. Um, and you cut that pocket off. You have a tailor do it if you don't know how to sew. You cut that pocket off and you put it right in the middle of your spine, right between your scapula. You sew a tennis ball in that pocket. And you wear that T-shirt to bed for 30 days. And you won't sleep on your back anymore. Huh. That's interesting. And, and and you're not going to find yourself waking up in the middle of the night a million times because you tried to sleep on your back and the tennis ball was there. You'll you'll notice it for a couple of days. Probably you'll you'll have some memories of it. And after that, you'll just quit trying. Like you'll just quit <laughs> rolling onto your back. Give yourself, you know, give yourself, you know, three or four weeks with it, even when you don't feel like you need it anymore. Just make sure you break that habit. And when you sleep on your side, about half about half of people's sleep apnea goes away just getting off their side. And then that's going to improve the quality of their sleep. That's going to improve their sex hormones. That's going to improve their stress hormones. And they're going to have all sorts of benefits from that just right away. And then you might, you know, then they might be able to go to sleep on their back, you know, six months later after everything's renormalized, maybe they do sleep on their back here and there and they don't have sleep apnea anymore. But every single patient I've ever had, I've gotten them off of their sleep, off of their CPAP. Um, and that includes, you know, 75 year old patients I've had, well, now, 72 is the now, oldest patient I've had. Now you say you've gotten them off. Does that mean that, um, you've weaned them off or it means as soon as you got them, you were like, get off that machine. It's not, it's not useful for you. No, I, so I've, I've optimized their lifestyle. I've gotten them off their back. So that's the first thing I, I always get everybody off their back. Um, first thing, um, 
you know, there, and there's lots of reasons to not sleep on your back. Um, but I get everybody to quit sleeping on their back. And then I work with their nutrition and their exercise and their stress. And, you know, if they need any hormone modulation, you know, and, and uh, obviously not everybody needs hormones, but they might need some supplements or a little bit of pharma to help kickstart their hormone production or balance their hormone production. Um, and then I'll just have them go retest and say, you know, I don't, I usually don't do it before about six months. I work with people for a one year program. Um, and then about six months into it, I'll say, go get another sleep study. Um, and if they, if they don't come back without sleep apnea, they come back with, you know, probably 10% or 20% of what they had before. You say, okay, well, let's give it another six months and, you know, just keep optimizing your lifestyle and then test again. Um, and their doctors always have some excuse for, mm-hmm. you know, what happened, but it was, it's never what I did. It was, it was never because <laughs> they were working with me. It was always, it was always something else that, it, uh, yeah, that none of that stuff works. So, right. It's amazing how yeah. that is, isn't it? it? It's totally overdiagnosed, just like, just like anxiety disorders are overdosed, just uh, overdiagnosed, just like ADHD is overdiagnosed. Um, it's just, again, yeah, it's, it's the system, the healthcare system, if, if you want to call it healthcare system, which is a misnomer, but uh, you know, the healthcare system, again, it, it's, it's offering medical interventions for lifestyle problems. Right. Well, I, I improve, I, like if you improve the lifestyle, you don't need the medicine almost always. And I, and I consider CPAP to be a medical device, you know, it's a medical intervention. What's interesting. I've, I've heard several people now and you know, it's, I've heard it for years, but now that my reticular activating system is focused on it, I'm hearing over and over and over again, like you can't, you can't monetize healthy lifestyle. And so instead we monetize drugs, machines, and all these kinds of things. And I, I'm inclined to believe that we can monetize healthy lifestyle. It's just that the people who would be able to monetize it, um, have less power, less authority, less attention, less credibility today than the people who are monetizing things like pills, machines, and shots, and surgeries, and things along those lines. Well, I mean, the, the COVID vaccine proves that, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you have, look at the machine that was involved in promoting that vaccine. Right. How, like, imagine if they would have used half of that $300 billion to educate people on vitamin D supplementation and zinc and getting good sleep and you know, exercising more and like the benefits of, you know, the, the simple things that they can do to improve their immune system and their overall health and their overall resilience. I mean, we know the, the biggest risk factor, well, the biggest risk factor for, for dying from COVID was age. Uh, the second, the second biggest was obesity, right? Uh, I, I had, I know one person who died from, uh, COVID and he's my age. He was this buddy of mine I went through SEAL training with, and he was 125, 150 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. Everybody else I know who had COVID was relatively fit. That was my age had COVID, right? You know, got sick and yeah, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I had COVID, you know, my partner had COVID like, yeah, it, it wasn't great. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a fun time, but it wasn't, wasn't by far the worst thing I've been through in my life either. Why? Just because we're healthy, you know, and, and, and nothing exceptional, nothing like we aren't doing anything that everybody else in the planet couldn't be doing. Um, and so if, if there was motivation there, 
you know, f- for that information campaign. And I, I agree with you that I, I, I think you could, you could monetize the information, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's not many products to be monetized. Right. Uh, it's, it's yeah, some day, some daily, some, some daily supplements maybe, but that would be, you know, infinitesimally small compared to, I mean, I think, you know, I think the vaccines were like $1,500 a shot or something like that. Oh, wow. That the government was paying for those. So, I mean, how many supplements do you have to put in somebody to make up for that? Well, what, what's, what's, and, and I don't, we don't need to get into uh, government policy because we, we could probably talk for a long time about that kind of stuff without all the awareness that we yeah, would need. And we won't, and we won't change anything. So. Right. It's, it's just, it's just, we should just stick with what we can change. Right. It's just, to, I, I yeah. want to make the statement that it's astounding. Like I, I got vaccinated and, and in hindsight, I feel like I got bamboozled frankly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but you know, I got it cause it was like, Oh, you won't be able to give COVID to your parents or to right. other, other people of older ages. And I was like, all right, well I'll do my part there and I'll make sure that I'm not a danger to somebody else. And it was all bullshit. Yeah, but, yeah, that, yeah, that that was that was the most effective part. Yes. Of, that, that was the most effective move they had was yes. making about public health and safety of others. Yeah. Yes, but but the thing that that's striking to me is everything the government purports to do is to try to put more money into the individual's pocket at the end of the line, right? Like that's if someone could actually do that, they would. Right. They would. They'd be able to have seventeen. In a row, 17, uh, four year terms in a row until they were dead. Everyone's like, fuck the constitution. That's our president forever. Um, and I feel like the reason, the reason that that doesn't happen is in large part because of human nature of the people who are less motivated to actually take agency over their own lives. And they want somebody else to save them. And I think that we end up in the situation where you show up at the doctor's office and instead of saying, Hey, I get a little bit of knee pain when I do this and I'm struggling to sleep and I want to be able to eliminate the knee pain without giving up activity. And I want to get to sleep right. without a CPAP. What do I need to do? Instead of like, what do I need to do to get my knee pain and sleep better? And they get a CPAP and a brace. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I'd, I'd be a little, I'd be a little uh, more generous to the population in that it it's, a lot of it is abs- is confusion, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like I I do, you know, I do health optimization and wellness medicine for for career, and I've been doing it for a long time, uh, and I have a you know a lot of academic credentials to be able to do that, and it's still confusing for me, right? Because the research comes out all the time, and you don't know what's good research until you really dig through it, and you don't have time to dig through all of it, and this guy's really smart and he's saying that, and it's the opposite of what I thought here. Um, so I, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the move, the move forward, like what would get people to, to not need and to not rely on healthcare so much um, is a, is a better education mm-hmm. for the, you know, for the healthcare providers. Um, but you know, the, the, you know, the, the, what is it? The American Academy of Medical Graduate Education um, sets the curricula for medical schools and for nursing schools and chiropractic schools and everything else, right? Like all, all of those have some governing body, um, you know, and, and the medical, you know, the medical world, the governing body is the academic researchers and they're, 
getting all of their funding from pharma, essentially. Right. Uh, like, I, I don't think it, it wasn't like a deliberate plan that somebody sat there and connived on, but it was like, hey, this is what we believe the solution is to make pills and right. potions to fix things. And that's kind of the way medicine got built out. Um, now, if like, I mean, I know a lot of doctors that don't know anything about nutrition. <laughs> they don't know anything about the benefits of exercise. They don't know anything about controlling stress. They don't know anything about sleep. When I first started dealing with sleep, I didn't know anything about sleep. Nothing. I, I went to medical school, didn't have a single class on sleep, not one. And, you know, when I first started wondering if sleep could be the performance problem that, you know, could be causing the performance problems that the SEALs were complaining to me about, I didn't have any idea idea because I didn't really know what happened when you slept. You know, I, I had to learn all that on my own. So I think, I think if people knew that there were easy solutions, I think if people knew how little, how little exercise it takes mm -hmm. to, to get the benefit of exercise. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous how little exercise you need to make a big difference. If you don't exercise at all, 10 minutes a day is huge. Right? That's, yep. a, that's a night and day difference. If you just after you eat dinner, you walk around the block, like something that simple is so if people had any idea of how powerful that was and how powerful it was to turn off the television an hour earlier and to get an extra hour of sleep. Like I think the general population just doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. And, and somebody like, like, I don't have a platform to get that information out. Like you and I can do podcasts and, you know, whatever, do a little bit of media, do a little bit of television here and there, but it's like, like that, that's not, that's not reaching the masses in a, in a meaningful, powerful way. No, it's missing the consistency of the reach. It's the reach yeah. plus the consistency, uh, which, which is, you right. know, you got, you got to figure both out. Um, I want to ask you one last lifestyle question. Then I want to ask you about, uh, the sleep remedy product, because I'm really very curious. Falling asleep, watch like not falling asleep. You watch TV right until the moment you go to bed, you turn the TV off, you go to sleep and you fall asleep in five minutes. Did the TV have any negative effect on your ability to sleep with quality? Um, depends on if, if you, depends on if you had any sort of blue blocking going on, right? So blue, blue light, blue light going into your eyes will interfere with the neurochemistry. So, you know, super quickly, we, you know, we evolved to go to sleep when the sun went down mm -hmm. um, for reasons that we, we talked about earlier. Um, the primary cue for us is the lack of blue light, most likely because the sky is blue. Um, and so we have, we have nerve cells in the back of our eye, you know, in our retina that don't have anything to do with vision. They just sense blue light. When the blue light goes away, they spark a pathway that, eventually leads to the pineal gland secreting melatonin. That's like the starter pistol uh, for everything to start changing in the brain to get your brain ready to go to sleep, which takes about three hours. So if you look at hunter gatherers that still live today, that have never experienced electricity. They go to sleep about three hours after the sun goes down. If you go out camping, something like that, right. And you don't have any electric lighting with you and you just use campfires, whatever you'll fall asleep about three hours after the sun goes down. Uh, that's just about the amount of time that it takes. Now, the melatonin, the blue light going down and the melatonin secretion changing neurochemistry, that's a, that's the first step. That's the most, uh, that's the initiation. One of the primary neurochemical changes is the increase of a neurotransmitter called GABA, or it's a neuropeptide, not a neurotransmitter. <clears throat> 
Oh, excuse me. Um, GABA stands for gamma amino butyric acid. And what it does is it slows down the neocortex. So the neocortex is the part that sits on that lizard brain, that midbrain. It's the part that we think of when we think of a human brain, that wrinkly, you know, part with all the little crevices in it. That is how we interact with the world. It has all of our sensory in it and it has all of our motor in it. It has all of our processing. So when we sense things, we think about it, we process it, we figure out what it means, and then we engage our motor activity to whatever extent we need to to interact with the world. That's not making us breathe. It's not making our heart rate. It's not adjusting our our blood pressure or anything like that. That's all the lizard brain. So it's the neocortex that needs to slow down because that's how we interact with the world. And the definition of being asleep basically is there's a barrier between you and your environment. And that barrier is just a lack a lack of awareness. It's a lack of interaction, a lack of attention. You can overcome that by stimulating yourself and, and engaging with your environment, right? So um, you can, you know, you can not, you can not have any electricity and the sun go down and three hours later, you can, you know, go run, you know, you could do something super physical. You can go out to, uh, you know, a nightclub or whatever. You go out to a bar and it could be a dark, dim candlelit bar, but you're interacting with people, you're talking, you're, you know, sexually attracted to somebody, whatever, like all those things, you can overcome it. So if the television is causing some sort of stimulation, if you're watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. uh, and you haven't blocked blue light, then yeah, it's interfering with your sleep. If you, if it's blocked blue light and you're watching Little House on the Prairie, you know, probably not, like it's probably not interfering much it's probably still not ideal. Um, but if some people just can't slow down their brain, and I think the last time we talked about that stress worksheet, mm-hmm. uh, didn't we about yep. the yep. the PDF I have about like how to get stress out of your sleep. Yes. Um, and we could, we could, we could link that for you. We could, we could create a, a, a link for you for, uh, send your people to that. We do, uh, we just choose it right now. What do you want? Docparsley.com forward slash, whatever you want. Active life. Okay. That's it. <laughs> uh, com forward slash active life. That'll be the lander. You can download this PDF on there. Um, and that talks about how to, how to deal with, with stress while you're asleep. Um, they'll to deal with stress to keep it away, keep it out of your sleep, uh, which we went over in a little more detail in the last podcast. Um, but yeah, that, that's my answer. Um, if, if you're interfering with either one of those two things, the blue light or, the amount of mental energy mm-hmm. you're giving to your environment, uh, then yeah, it's going to impact your sleep. Is it huge? I don't know. Is it 5%? Is it 40%? I don't know. I mean, it, it, that would depend from person to person. I don't know how you would study that. I don't know that that has been studied. Right. That, that, yeah, it's one of those, uh, it wouldn't be ideal. So like when we have our ideal line, mm-hmm. You're, right, right, right. Supplement. You're not coming as you're not coming as close as you could. For right, sure. right. I follow. Yeah. I follow. Um, man, there's there's still so much I want to ask you, but I, I want to learn about um, the sleep remedy product. When I've talked to people sure. about like because I people a lot of people ask me, what do you take to go to sleep? I'm like, I, I'm generally tired at bedtime and I go to sleep. I don't. I don't. I usually don't mm-hmm. take anything. But if you want to take a supplement, I've been telling people the the person I trust to produce a product that I believe would be efficacious, non-harmful, 
not habit forming and leave you with good sleep would be you. Dr. Kirk yeah. Parsley. And that you're a product. I that appreciate you've, that. You're welcome. And the product that you've created is sleep remedy. And one right. of the one one of the, the first questions that I got asked about it was there's vitamin D in it though. Isn't that going to keep me awake at night? And so I'd love for right. you to answer that. And then kind of just you don't need me to ask the prompts on the rest. What else is in it and how does it help them sleep? Yeah, so I mean I can handle all that in one fell swoop, really. Um so you know <clears throat> For, for anybody who who didn't hear in our last in our last podcast, you know, the whole reason this came to my attention is, you know, the, the seals were coming to see me with something that we've now written up officially in the medical literature is called operator syndrome. I was calling it seal syndrome back then, um, but it, you know, it was basically this combination of you know lack lack of concentration, lack of memory, lack of mental focus, lack of motivation, lack of uh, emotional control, like a lot of emotional lability, as we call it. Um, so going from super angry to super sad, to bored to depressed, it's like all over the place for no apparent reason. Don't really know what the triggers are, uh, poor physical performance. So like getting essentially getting slower and weaker, colder, um, losing muscle mass, uh, and, and putting on excess body fat. So body composition shifts, but they were doing everything right. I mean, they were, you know, they were working with the nutritionist, they were working with their strength and conditioning coach. Um, you know, so by, you know, they're a lot of them were taking supplements. And so by their standards, they should be performing great. They weren't right. And they, they're having these problems. Um, somewhere along the line, it, it occurred to me, well, maybe the fact that almost all of them are taking Ambien and the ones who aren't take well, the ones who are taking Ambien and the ones who aren't taking Ambien are usually using alcohol before they go to sleep. So that forced me to learn, okay, how could Ambien be causing any of this? Could alcohol be causing any of this? And what, what I found was that, um, you know, we talked about earlier how deep sleep is the most anabolic time. It's when you're repairing, it's when your immune system is fighting off viruses and bacterial infections and repairing damage and all this stuff. And then the REM sleeps when your brain's reorganizing and emotionally categorizing and learning and you know, all that type of stuff. So you need both of those, right? Um, that's deep sleep and REM sleep. You need both of those and they need to happen in a predictable pathway, predictable patterns for you to be good, good quality of sleep. And alcohol, uh, alcohol destroys deep sleep. Uh, it gets rid of about 80% of deep sleep and about 20% of REM and then sleep drugs do the opposite. Um, so when he's, uh, when I'd send these seals to do their sleep studies, not only did they all have sleep apnea, they all also had like 99.9% stage two sleep. So they weren't getting any deep sleep, any REM sleep. And I was like, okay, well, we obviously need to get rid of these things, <laughs> but they were taking sleep drugs and they were using alcohol because they couldn't sleep. So I couldn't just say, quit doing those things and sleep anyway. So I had to I'd say, okay, what, what can I give them to sleep? So I just started looking for like what supplements work to help help you go to sleep. And there was a million things. You go to PubMed and it's like, you know, this kind of lemongrass and this herb and that and this. Uh, and and it was really, it was, it was just overwhelming to me. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to become, you know, a, I'm not going to become a botanist or uh, a, a naturopath or Chinese medicine specialist or something. So I'm not going to understand all these herbs. So I'm like, all right, what's normal physiology? Well, normal physiology, we talked about already. 
sun goes down, melatonin gets secreted, GABA comes out, GABA slows down the neocortex, bunch of other changes happen. But people, a lot of, you know, people in America, at least, are usually familiar with what we call the tryptophan coma, the Thanksgiving day nap on the couch. You eat a bunch of turkey and you fall asleep, right? Because of tryptophan. Everybody knows the keyword. Oh, it's tryptophan. Right. Well, what is tryptophan? Well, it's an amino acid and it's an old meat. Uh, a turkey doesn't have an exceptionally high amount of it. Um, there, there's also uh, some rebound from the carbohydrates that are causing this, but we'll stick with the tryptophan. Um, so the reason tryptophan causes you to be sleepy is because tryptophan becomes 5-hydroxytryptophan. And then with the help of vitamin D3, which is actually a hormone, um, and magnesium, you need both of those. Uh, then you can convert 5-hydroxytryptophan into serotonin. Serotonin can become melatonin. Melatonin is in the starter pistol. It gets everything going. You release GABA. GABA slows down the neocortex, makes you feel drowsy, and you go to sleep. So what's in my product? Tryptophan, 5-hydroxytryptophan, vitamin D3, magnesium, a very, very small amount of melatonin because I don't want to take over your melatonin production and I don't want to give you a super physiologic dose of melatonin. I want you to have the initiation dose of melatonin, right? So from the time the sun goes down until the time this, until the time you wake up, your brain will produce about six micrograms of melatonin. So if you're taking a one milligram tablet of melatonin, and I've seen 50 milligram tablets of melatonin, if you're taking one milligram of melatonin, well, you're getting one milligram all at once instead mm -hmm. of six micrograms over 12 hours or you know, 10 hours or whatever. Well, so and, and there's, there's that's a too much. There's a thousand micrograms in one gram for people who are listening. So if, if you're taking a, yeah. a 10 milligram my, uh, melatonin, that's going to be 10,000 yeah. micrograms when the normal amount that your body is producing to go to sleep is six micrograms over the course of right. well, throughout, throughout the entire night. Right, right, right. The entire so, night you're doing six micrograms. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge overdose. And what it does is it down regulates receptors. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have the hormone, if you don't have the receptor to bind to it and what you and your body is a smart machine. If you have an excess of a hormone around, uh, then your body quits making so many receptors, right? If I have a thousand times more melatonin than I need, then I can get away with one one thousandth of the melatonin receptors mm -hmm. because why should my cells go through the right. energetic activity of making that receptor when they only need one one thousandth as many as they used to have? Now, if you take away the melatonin that you're taking and you have normal amounts of melatonin in your brain, you're melatonin deficient because you only have one tenth or one one hundredth or one one thousandth of the receptors. Um, I also put GABA in my product. GABA doesn't cross the blood brain very, very, very well. It does cross, but not great. Um, L-theanine helps GABA work better. It's another amino acid. It, it, it um, increases the efficacy of what GABA does get in your brain. And that does cross into the blood brain very, very well. But also GABA is produced in your, in your uh, gut brain, right? So you, you know, you have about 30% uh, as many neurons in your, in your, inside your gut that you do in your brain. And those are also producing melatonin. And those are also slowing things down and all that stuff. So, um, and they use GABA to decrease peripheral nerve inter interaction and that's decreasing your 
awareness to sensation and touch and all that is, uh, um, and temperature and all that stuff. And, um, uh, then I have, so I have GABA in my product and I have L-theanine and then I put just recently, I added phosphatidylserine, uh, just because the research on phosphatidylserine is decreasing cortisol levels. And what I find in, I mean, nine, uh, 90% of the 90% of the people I work with, uh, whether they're my annual clients or just people I do one offs with, or, you know, so I still work with a lot of SEALs and special forces guys. Um, all like 90, 90% of those people have excess stress hormones, um, excess cortisol. And so that's interfering with their sleep. So I have a little bit of that in there. I have like 50 milligrams of that in there. That's not enough for most people. If they're really stressed, I usually recommend taking a little more phosphatidylserine on top of it. Um, but otherwise, you know, I always tell people like my metaphor for it has always been, um, I'm bringing lumber to the construction site. Right. You got to put it together. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. If you don't have a construction crew, nothing like nothing's going to happen. It's just going to sit there what's, and get stolen by kids to make skateboard ramps. What's, what's, what's um, the but, use of vitamin yeah. D? What, why the vitamin D in the supplement? Uh, because the conversion from uh, 5-hydroxytryptophan, the 5-HTP to serotonin requires vitamin D3 and magnesium. Got it. And, wh- and so, so why- I'm just making sure that you have it. Now, the people who think, oh, if your vitamin D3 levels go up, then your body's going to perceive that you're in the sun. That n- There's no, no correlation to that whatsoever. In fact, um, the vitamin D3 that your body using during the day is almost certainly not the vitamin D3 that you're making during the day. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of that, but vitamin D3, again, it's a hormone. It's fat soluble. It's stored in all your fat cells. So when you're taking a supplement of it, um, it's lasting in your bloodstream until it's absorbed into your fat cells anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's, and that it, it has, there, there's no mechanism in your brain to go, Oh, vitamin D three is high. Therefore it must be daytime. There, right. there, there's no, there's no sensory for that because, um, because it's a fat soluble, uh, stored, stored in your, stored in your fat and mobilized as you need it. So, one last question that I have to ask you just because my curiosity is off the charts about this. Um, all of this wearable and app technology that claims to measure mm-hmm. your sleep. I imagine there's some variance in the ability for them to measure it, but I've had a phone next to my bedside that was like, you slept like, I'm like, how, how do you know? You're not even attached to my body. You're, right. you're a foot away right. from right. my head. And wearables yeah. on my wrist measuring HRV and things of that nature. I don't wear them um, because I'm not a big believer, but I'm curious in your thoughts, are those things accurately measuring sleep? <clears throat> the way I use those, um, so it's it's hard to change, as you know, it's hard to change anything that you don't measure, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be able to quantify it to some degree. Now, I have lots of, um, you know, because my private program is expensive, a lot of, you know, a lot of my clients are older, right. Um, mm-hmm. you have my age older. So, uh, you know, a lot of them in their sixties and even some in their seventies, they don't have any interest in any sort of <laughs> computer gadget. Like they already hate the technology they have to use. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't encourage, I don't encourage them to, to do anything with that. If you're like those, those people, I just say, you know, just journal, just get a little notepad, throw it next to your bed, write down, you know, when you wake up in the morning, write down what time you went to sleep, what time you woke up. Do you remember anything during the night? 
And then before you go to bed at night, write down how you felt that day. And then you'll find out kind of, well, we'll figure out like what's, what's working for you and what's not through that. Um, the wearables, I, I recommend people do the same thing. Keep in mind, the wearable is an algorithm. An algorithm is a computer model. Our, the world's response to COVID was based off of a computer <laughs> model, right? So just keep this in mind. These are just models. You know, Google has an algorithm. Facebook has an algorithm. Instagram has an algorithm. They're going to show you what they want you to see based off an algorithm. It's an approximation. It's a calculation. So I don't, I would never say, we need to keep working on your sleep until your Garmin says you had a hundred percent sleep score or your aura ring said you had hundred. Like that's not how it works. We use it so that we have some framework of measuring it. Right. And so we can say, well, as an example, I think the aura is, is probably the most accurate at measuring what it's measuring. I'm not saying it's algorithm is necessarily the most accurate, but because it's using arterial blood supply, it can get it can get close, you know, because it's on your finger, it can get really close to the artery. It takes a lot less energy. And the arterial is a better metric than than venous blood supply. And it pulses more frequently because it's low energy. So it's more accurate at measuring what it measures. I'm not saying again that it's more accurate in, in this algorithm than the Garmin or the Apple Watch or the Fitbit or mm-hmm. whatever the hell out the whoop band, all of those things, they all have an algorithm. All I want to know is what does your wearable say when you feel great? All right. When you, when you feel like you're at your best, when you feel like, man, I really like today, I, I, I woke up feeling great and I had a great day. Would, would your, would your wearable say that day? If that's 60, right. <laughs> you know, the, 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 we're going for that 60. But really, the most useful thing about them is like, how long did you sleep? Uh, I've worn, I've had an aura ring tell me that I got 100% deep sleep. That slept for eight hours and 100% of that was deep sleep. <laughs> I've also had it say I had 0% deep sleep. Right. Neither one of those are possible. Right. <laughs> but you know, it did measure how long I was asleep and it did measure my, my pulse probably accurately. It probably got my heart rate variability accurately. Um, and so if I have some concerns about whether or not I've been sleeping well enough to exercise intently, I might use that heart rate variability as a gauge for, you know, for how hard I'm going right. to work out. And like, and that's a short intermittent thing. If it's telling me that my heart rate variability always sucks and I feel great and I'm working out and I'm making gains, then I'm not going to pay that much attention to it. But if it's an intermittent thing, like I just, I'm not sure, like I don't feel like I slept that great and I woke up today and my heart rate variability scores a lot worse than it usually is. I'm going to believe it for that day, maybe two days, but it's really just good to get a baseline and say like, here's how much I'm sleeping. This is what my heart rate's averaging. One good thing you can do with that is you can show people, uh, you can show people, Hey, if you, if you load a bunch of, uh, high glycemic index, uh, in your diet in your, in your dinner, um, and you go to bed, you'll see a big change in, in your sleep quality and probably your sleep duration and your heart rate. If you drink alcohol, you'll see a big change in that. If you, you know, if you, um, if you're dehydrated, you'll see a big change in heart rate and heart rate variability as well. So you can kind of use it 
in that respect. But for the most part, it's it's a it's an alternative to a journal. I wouldn't say it's necessarily any better than the journal. Um, the heart rate variability science, I believe in the measurement of it. I'm not a hundred percent convinced with. I appreciate, but that. it's better. It's better than nothing. But, but not necessarily better. It's than only. Journal. It's only better. It's only better than nothing. Right. You know, I don't know how much better. It's it's at least one percent better than nothing, but. I don't know how much better. I appreciate the thoroughness of your answer on that and all the other questions I asked you today. You're welcome. Dr. Parsi, I'll make sure people know where to find you in the show notes, where they find your sleep remedy. And uh, I appreciate you coming back on. All right. I appreciate you having me back on. Uh, I need a soapbox for anybody to hear me. So I got you. I'm going to go. I'm going to line up. I don't have the work ethic to do my own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Live Podcast. Please remember, give us a hand, rate it, review it wherever you listen to shows. We are on a mission to humanize the healthcare industry by professionalizing the fitness industry to empower the individual to live a life unlimited by the way that their body looks, feels, or performs. If you are inspired by that mission and want to jump on the wagon, find us anywhere. Active Life Professional on Instagram. Active Life RX on Instagram. Come to me personally at Dr. Sean Pastuch. We want to welcome you onto the train. We want you to be a part of the mission. We want to offer you the opportunity to pursue this right alongside us. We're inspired by your effort, and we hope to help you in your journey. Turn pro.